yes, folks, we are back for another edition of Crossed Up. We told you we we're going to start it back up again. We told you we we're going to get to it uh, on a weekly basis. And Bob and I, you know, we talked about it. and we Maybe we were going to do it yesterday. It was the off day for the Phillies um, during spring training. But we didn't do it. We decided to come at, come at you today because, you know, the Phillies had a split squad um, uh, situation today on March 4th, Wednesday the 4th. That's when we're recording. Um, we're like, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, you know, we'll watch, see those two games. Yet we couldn't see any of them, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> there was no television coverage of either game, including one against the Yankees. At night. If you know, Bryce Harper hits two home runs and nobody can see it on TV in Philadelphia, yeah. did it even happen? No. Real Muto was three for three. No, didn't see any of that. It, uh, it's off, like it, it didn't even count. And then, you know, one of the uh, guys on Twitter, because I was complaining about it, I said, wow, that, I'm sure that, that Bryce Harper home run was really cool. Too bad there's an infomercial on right now. And <laughs> this guy, I don't know if you saw it or not. I did see it, yes. guy took a screen grab of uh, what was on TV, and it was just like this medical patient. It's just this old woman laying in bed looking horrified at this fake doctor. <laughs> like, And that and Mike Missanelli, like that's what everybody needs to see on their TVs in the afternoon. Yeah. And I, it makes me wonder less about is this a decision by the Phillies or is this a decision by Comcast not wanting to because they're cheap, 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 not or NBC Sports, whatever the hell they we want to call. Yeah. Them. yeah um, uh, do they not want to pay the broadcasters to broadcast the game? I think it, it's definitely a cost cutting measure. It's it's amazing yeah. to me. It's. 2020, we should get every single Phillies game in some capacity, whether it be through their streaming service, through NBC Sports Philly Plus, or on the main station. And to only have 10 games aired this spring is pretty remarkable, especially when you consider the star power that this team has. People want to see Bryce Harper. People want to see spring training baseball. There's definitely an appetite for it. All you have to do is go on social media and you see that people are kind of upset that they're not checking out these games. And instead, and, and to really compound the issue and make it way worse, there's just garbage filler on these stations in the daytime and so yeah I mean it's pretty lame people have a right to be pissed off and especially the, the thing that really jumps out at me and you can't argue that it's anything but a co uh, cost-cutting measure you go back to 2016 I believe they had 17 games uh, 2017 16 games I mean it's a, a drastic cut this season and um you know, I I don't I don't know if it's the team's fault in any capacity. I don't know enough about the way that the spring training rights are are broken down, but uh, it does suck for the fans for sure. They didn't even have radio coverage of the afternoon game. No, it's bizarre. You yeah. couldn't even listen to the radio in a game in their own home park in spring training, and there was no coverage of it except if you had to follow on social media. Yeah, if you have these guys down here, at the very least, stream the damn game. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just it's it's bizarre. It really, truly is. And it's so much so that today, if you wanted to get a look at Bryce Harper's home runs, you had to rely on somebody in the stands taking a video of it, essentially. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's where we're at. And you wouldn't expect that right now. And it really surprises me. You know, you're trying to generate excitement about this team again. And you got, you know, a brand new manager, a brand new coach. Well, not completely brand new, but, you know, some brand new coaches on the coaching staff. Um, you know, you, you got some new players. And, and you want to kind of, you know, of course, you know, the, the young guys. I mean, Alec Bohm's played a lot in spring training so far, and he's looked really good. Um, you know, so, you know, you want to see some of the young guys. You want to see who's going to win, you know, battles for bench spots or in the bullpen. Like, there's a lot to look for in these spring training games, and we can't see it. We can't see it. We can't hear I mean, we can't hear it today. It was 
It was really disappointing. I, I yeah, they don't really play again on TV, I don't believe, until the 7th, and until Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and then they play again Monday, the 9th, the 10th, the 17th, 18th, 19th, 21st. So you get a little cluster of games there at the very end, but this is a, a hell of a stretch. They actually went from February 25th all the way up until March 7th. Not having been on TV, so you're talking about you know a span of ten or eleven days at that point, which is just remarkable. You, and that's what tells me that this is a Comcast and not a Phillies decision, because if the, yeah. if we're getting the dates towards the end, it's because it's because Comcast slash NBC thinks that oh the games at the end that's when all the regular players will play more they'll play a lot we don't want to put games on when these minor league players are coming in in the fourth and fifth inning and nobody cares anymore. So why, why bother with the broadcast when you're going to start showing players who aren't playing? But that's not the point. The point is, is there are guys who are actually fighting for jobs. I mean, you know, L- Logan Forsythe has looked great so far. He's fighting for a bench job. Um, uh, you know, Ronald Torres has played pretty well. He's a guy affiliated with um, with Girardi. Yeah, he's got a Girardi uh, link, and he's, he's hitting 375 right now. And- yeah. He's hitting this, you know, in spring so far. So like, oh, well, there's a guy who could end up on the team. But instead, you're going to leave your fans in the in the dark. And then these guys, one of these, one or two, of these guys might make the team. And all of a sudden, you get out of spring training, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? Where'd he yeah, and it's from? noticeable too. I mean, you have the beat writers talking about it on Twitter. Uh, you have a lot of people, a lot of fans that are complaining about it. Uh, it's it's something that people are calling into talk radio. It's come up quite a few times. The the lack of accessibility to this team in the spring and. You know, on the flip side of it, I guess the positive note is that there is there is some appetite to watch this team. I guess if, if a lot of people are upset that they're not getting access to this team in Clearwater, that hopefully once the season starts, there's going to be strong ratings. There's people at the park. You know, that's that's the the positive spin on this. But no, it's been it's been really disappointing, and it's been hard to follow from afar. You know, it's hard to really generate a lot of interest when you're just looking at box scores all the time. You know, seeing two for three and, and seeing good defense is a lot different than, you know, reading about it on your Twitter timeline or a game recap the next day. Yeah, I mean, and for all we know, like, you know, we look at some of these these guys who are hitting, and, you know, it's like, oh, no, so-and-so's hitting, you know, th- 350. Well, maybe, some, maybe like, four of those hits were, like, little – you know, snorts off the off the Yeah, and we're not getting the advanced data. We're not getting the analytics that really like, let know, us know what's going on with these swings either. Right. You know, so we don't know. Like we're just oh man, man, they're they're hitting well in camp, or maybe they're really not. They're just been a little bit lucky. Like you don't know, right? You know, or maybe some guys, you know, not hitting as well, but is really making hard contact. Hitting, yeah, know, like Didi Gregorius. You know, he's zero for sixteen. I'm sure he's squaring up a ton of baseballs right now. I, I guarantee you, all sixteen of them were right at somebody. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. So yeah, that's that's uh, the little little rant, a mild rant here to start things. Uh, we do have a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about obviously how the Phillies are going to fill out the bench. I think that that's really the, the key thing that we see playing out right now at this point in the spring training schedule. We want to talk a little bit about the bullpen concerns, uh, and we'll touch a little bit on the fifth starter uh, situation and and a potential surprise emerging in that battle between. Well, what we thought was a battle between uh, Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez exclusively, there there may be a dark horse candidate emerging there. So we'll get to that too. Um, you know, one thing I guess I want to you know get into right at the start here when you assess what's going on, the thing, and we talked this uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. What is the primary concern that you have for the 2020 Phillies? And you talked about the bullpen 
And, yep. you know, here we are a week later, and I don't think that anything has happened over the last six or seven days to really alleviate those concerns. And, in fact, I think that they should probably be more of a concern at this point based on what has happened. Uh, news came out today that, that Tommy Hunter yet again will not be ready in time to start the season. He was optimistic. He almost suggested that he feels as if he's close and it's more the team being cautious here, holding him back. But he's going to be unavailable nonetheless at the start of the season. Victor Arano, sore shoulder. Sir Anthony Dominguez still not really getting live action here. He threw in a simulated game. The velocity sitting in the mid-90s. That's, that's relatively positive. But until he goes out there in a game situation and, and shows that he's going to be capable of doing this on a consistent basis, you still have to have questions about him. So right now, as it stands, the Phillies have essentially filled only three spots in their bullpen. So let's get into this. Number one, on a scale of one to ten, how concerned are you about this bullpen right now? And then number two, because I'm sure it's it's pretty high. I'm sure you're pretty damn concerned. And then number two, who are some of the guys that we're looking at here to maybe fill this thing out, at least at the start of the season? So on a scale of one to ten, what's yeah. my concern? 37. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, this is, you know, I I look at it and you got Hector Neris, obviously, is going to be at the back of the, of the bullpen, which is fine. Um and then I assume Adam Morgan um, is probably in there, um, and, and Alvarez is probably back in there. Somewhere. Those are the three guys I would say are yeah. locks at this point. Sure. Okay. First of all, let me just, let's start with those three. Do you sit there and say? Man, that's a good trio to have at the back end of the bullpen. Hey, listen, I like Hector Neris about as much as anybody. So I, I, I think he's a solid piece. Do I feel great about him being a closer? No, he's, he's, shown, he's shown some volatility over the last few seasons. So, uh, But he's a good piece. Adam Morgan last year, before he had the injury issues, pitched well. So, like, am I cool with those guys being in the bullpen? Jose Alvarez, after a little bit of a shaky start, 19, also very solid. Like, these are all... Th- guys that I want in my bullpen, but them being the the core, the guys that I'm supposed to feel absolutely rock right. solid about, that's a little bit of a concern, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's what I'm saying. Like, sure, they all they all should have a place. There's no question about it. But if, if we're sitting here three weeks before opening day, and that's how close we are, and they're the only three names that we can say are absolutely going to be in the pen, that's concerning. Yeah, and I mean, when you look past those guys, I mean, the the next option is probably going to be the loser of the Pavetta-Velasquez battle. Right. I don't know who that's going to be right now. Um, neither, I, I would say that Velasquez has pitched better than Pavetta to this point. I don't know if that really matters, but if you're just going by results, I think that, that he's, he's probably overall looked better. Um, perhaps both of them end up in the bullpen. I mean, we'll spoiler alert here, but we were talking a little bit earlier about Ranger Suarez and, and the job that he's done so far in limited action and how he's potentially emerged. Uh, maybe the Phillies want a little bit of balance and add that lefty to the rotation. So do you have a bullpen that has two converted starters in it, you know, or converted relievers from being starters previously? Again, not something to feel great about. And then from there, you're looking at guys like Francisco Liriano, who has struggled with control the last few seasons. No different so far in a limited sample this spring. Four, four walks and yeah, only three, and three innings, yep. innings pitched. So, you know, I don't feel great about him. And so how they round this thing out, I don't know. You, you, but, know, you know who's getting the most uh, – I shouldn't say the most. But, well, yeah, the most action out of the bullpen – 
so far this spring, and actually has pitched well. Granted, it's only four innings, but who who do we, who do you think has gotten the most action out of the bullpen? Uh, you know what? I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me, and I don't have the answer to it. I, kn- I know that Trevor Kelly has pitched a lot for That's this team. It. That's it. Oh, is it? Okay, there you go. Yeah, the, uh, the vaunted Trevor Kelly, yeah. Yes, Trevor Kelly, uh, 36th-round pick of the Boston Red Sox back in 2015. He's thrown four and a third innings, uh, has only allowed one hit, and has six strikeouts. One hit, one walk, six strikeouts, no earned runs. Yeah, and he was a uh, trade acquisition over the winter, and yeah. – uh, there are some things that they like about him. He struggled in Boston last year and only 10 games pitched, but uh, decent minor league numbers a year ago. And you wonder, when, when a team goes out and they have the questions that they have in the bullpen, they go out and they make a trade for a player like that, you say, okay, do they identify something in him, some trait that they think may translate to to earning that roster spot and the way that they've utilized him in the early going, clearly there has to be some interest there. Now, I mean, in spring training, there's two reasons that pitchers appear a lot. One, because they just, they're protecting the arms that truly matter. And then number two, they're giving a longer look at certain guys that they have genuine interest in. I I don't know where Trevor Kelly falls into those two possibilities. I think it's the latter. I actually do think that this is an evaluation. And so they're giving him a little bit more of a higher volume in the spring. Uh, but he, yeah, he would be a possibility for sure. I mean, yeah. and, and then you have guys like, what, Bud Norris, uh, who uh, I think not only is not good. <laughs> what did you say, stinks? He stinks. Yeah, he stinks. Uh, but not only, is, not only that, but he's also 34 years old. I mean, yeah. you know, the guy's older than I am, so that's that's a problem. And uh, so I don't feel great about him. Drew Storen? I don't think so. I mean, right? Like, Come on. Yeah, it's just it's hard. I mean, some of these names, and I'll be the first to tell you, and you know this as well as anybody, but listen, bullpen performance, you can catch lightning in a bottle. You can put together runs and and get something you did not anticipate. Like With starting pitchers, invariably, like you're going to regress to the mean or you're going to progress to the mean. But with relievers, you can, you can kind of catch that lightning in a bottle. Maybe they do it with a guy like Storen or Bud Norris, but I don't, I don't think so. I mean, and not only that, but, but Storen's been bad so far too. Yep. So you know who else has been bad? Anthony Swarzak. Brought him in. Yeah. He yeah. stinks. That's another guy that's in the picture here at this point. And, Three you know, so an ERA of 12. <laughs> Batters are hitting 357 off him so far this spring. Uh, Blake Parker, they got that ERA of nine. They brought him back on a minor league minor league deal or, or non roster invite. I guess he is. Uh, let's go. Who's Diolis, the other guy that they Diolis traded Diolis for? Guerra. They traded for uh, was it Reggie McLean? I believe from the Mariners. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that was another one uh, that that they were looking at. And again, he's even he hasn't even pitched though. Yeah, he's. I think he's hurt. appeared a couple times. Uh, has he? Yeah. Yeah, he has. Uh, but not not a lot, uh, not a guy that I think that they're really banking on. But again, oh, yeah, when yeah. you look at this, it's this is where I go back to. You're sitting here on March, you know, fourth as we record this, and you want to be positive, you want to be optimistic, and you want to believe that they have enough here. You want to believe that the improvements in the coaching staff and the buy-in from the players, which you keep hearing about, you know, it seems like every day. It, not that it's a direct shot at Gabe Kapler or the previous staff, but every day somebody comes out and says it feels different. There's trust. He, you know, Joe Girardi gets it, and I think that at this point, if you're trying to grasp onto something to feel good about with this team, it's that there's probably a significantly enhanced belief in the coaching staff and the message being conveyed by that staff. And I do think that when you have confidence in the plan, when you trust the plan, 
that it can lead to increased performance. It, it leads to a sense of trust. And I believe that's real, and I think we may see it with this team, but that only goes so far when you're in the fifth inning of a game and you get a short start from somebody in your rotation and you're handing the ball to, you know, like you said, Anthony Swarzak, Bud Norris, uh, Francisco Liriano. I mean, it's going to be hard to overcome that. So here's another thing. I mean, like, they have so many lefties in the bullpen, in, in the race for the bullpen. Like, I can't see them keeping all these lefties. When you really look at it, all right, you got Austin Davis, you uh, you got uh, Cole Irvin, who's pitched exclusively out of the bullpen so far this spring, uh, five innings. Um, does he make? I mean, maybe he makes it. The, the thing is, obviously, we talked about the loser of Pavetta Velasquez probably ending up in the bullpen. Yeah, are they going to use that player as the long man, or are they going to use that player? As a, a high leverage guy, I mean, are they going to look at one of those guys as a power arm, a right arm? It, 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 you know, the way that they're going to do this, if it were last year, I'd tell you that they were going to use him more as a high leverage type. I, I don't know how Joe Girardi's going to evaluate this, though. Yeah, I don't either. I have no idea. And then you got Morgan and um, you got Liriano. I mean, there's no way they yeah. can keep all those lefties, right? I mean, at most, you're keeping two. Yeah, I mean, if they keep two, it's got to be Alvarez and Morgan. So, I mean, for Liriano to enter the conversation, they would have to expand that number to three, which I guess is possible. I mean, yeah, three is max. I mean, if you're going to carry eight relief pitchers, right, the max you're doing is three lefties. And I mean, Austin Davis has been good uh, so far, but I don't. I mean, he was miserable last year. I, I don't. I just don't foresee him being a factor. I mean, right, will like will Austin Davis throw an inning for the Phillies at some point in twenty twenty? Yeah, probably. I, I, it's probable. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think coming out of the gates that you're going to see him. So yeah. I, I don't know at this and point. It, and like I said, Cole Irvin th- has they five innings of relief they've used him so far. Yeah, and I mean, I think that if he if he finds his way onto the opening day roster, that's probably more as a long man. I, I would I would think. He yeah. just does not have the stuff, I don't think, to pitch late. And not only do I not think, nobody thinks that he has the stuff to pitch late. You know? I, I, you know what I find? Like, I'll go back and I listen to our shows, and I'm like, why are you sugarcoating everything? Like, yeah. why? I feel like I'm, I'm too damn polite sometimes, well, you, you know? know it, you know what it is? And, and, and look, I've, I've been in this boat, and I've done it, and I do it with hockey sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. But you get into the situation where, you know, you're down there, Bob, right? And you got to go into the clubhouse and go face-to-face with these guys. So sometimes you don't want to sit there – and say exactly what you want to say because yes. you, you, know, you don't want to make it too harsh because then you got to deal you know you got to deal with the aggravation of them saying yo dude what's up with what you were saying whereas if you if you sugarcoat it a little bit it, you know it's no it's not going to be as much of an issue right and you know what makes it even worse and you, you could probably talk a little bit about this i don't know if you ever found yourself in this situation with the flyers but Cole Irvin's a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a great guy, you know. And you want to go on air and you want to rip him apart for being ineffective and saying, I can't do another inning of Cole Irvin in my entire life, you know, or I'd be good if I never had to see this again. And then you stand across from him in the locker room and you go, he's a great guy. I hope he he figures it out, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You got guys like that that you root for. You know, quietly that you hope that they find a way. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. But at the same time, look. That was Jared are, Hughes last year. Yeah, nicest yeah. guy you'll meet. Nicest guy in baseball. He's a terrible pitcher, but <laughs> super nice guy. So so here we are. We've been talking about the bullpen for about fifteen minutes, twenty minutes now. 
and we still have not come up with a fourth bullpen arm, uh, uh, like a legitimate fourth Yeah, that you could just, like, put in pen and say, slam dunk, this is a guy. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, other than maybe the loser of Velasquez Pavetta. I mean, besides that, who's then the fifth guy? Yeah, like, I mean, and, and you figure, I, I think, at least until that story trickles out there, like, next Tuesday, I'm thinking maybe, like, a next Tuesday, Wednesday release for this one, but... You would think right now that, that Sir Anthony Dominguez will be on the opening day roster, right? <laughs> if you were a I mean, betting man on, and I gave depends, you even odds, what would you take? It depends on when he's ready to throw. Like, you know, if he doesn't get game action next week, I don't know how you get him ready to be on the opening day roster with only two weeks of spring training. Was yeah. he going to get three innings? And yeah, then you're gonna then you're gonna put uh, him in the bullpen. But when you look at the alternative, I mean, we're not working under uh, a perfect situation here. And so when you look at the current construction and of this bullpen and the options that they have to fill it out, yeah, Sir Anthony Dominguez with uh, three appearances uh, beginning in mid March might be the Phillies' fourth best option, fifth best option in the bullpen right now. That's scary. Scary thought. That is really and and that's what kind of amazes me that you go into this season and you're billing yourself as a legitimate contender, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if you go to phillies.com right now, here we are talking on Wednesday night. What's the lead story? Playoffs are bust. Playoffs are bust in 2020. And, you know, that may be the case, but whose head's rolling if, if, if they don't make it, right? And I just don't understand how you could build a team – that has these types of or has this type of aspiration, and, and have this type of bullpen, it it boggles my mind. It really does. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So let's move on to uh, happier topics here. Let's talk a little bit about how the Phillies are going to uh, round out their bench. I, I, admittedly, I think that you have been more um, more of an astute observer of the Phillies bench situation than I've been. Uh, I know that you have a little love. You and Joe Giglio, your boy, uh, have a little common love for Kyle Garlick. Uh, we could talk. You want to talk a little Kyle Garlick yeah, tonight? Yeah, I do. It's not that I have love for him, um, but I found it interesting. You know, the Phillies traded for him on February fifteenth. It was kind of late in the game for a trade. You know, you may be a signing. Okay, fine, but kind of late in the game for you know trading for a player. And you sit there and say, well, why did they? Why did they do that then? Normally, you know, you make those moves, you know, in November, you know, or, or early December, you know, uh, trade for those fringe guys and say, okay, they're gonna, we're going to bring them to camp and maybe they do something. But February 15th, so that's, I think, when they found out that McCutcheon was not going to be ready for the start of the season. I think they probably thought maybe, but, they, you know, you know we'll, we'll see, see how things are going. But that's right after camp opens. So your hypothesis is that they knew – that he would not be ready, and they went out and they made this trade specifically targeting this guy to come in and start, or you know, start the season on the roster. Yeah, yeah. because okay. I think that they, I think you look at it. Look, let's look at the outfield. Okay, All right, we know we got Harper. You got Harper and Wright. Okay, beyond that, without McCutcheon, you have nothing that's set in stone. Um. You know, you look at I, I look at Jay Bruce. He's getting a lot of at bats. He's barely playing in the field. Everything is either DH or pinch hitting for him, and that's pretty much what he's going to be. He'll get the the odd start here or there. Maybe he gets a start at first base to give uh, Hoskins a game off or something. Um, but although they could do that with Real Muto too, um, and you know maybe he gets the odd start in left field. But I don't think Jay Bruce is your guy 
who's just going to be your left fielder until Andrew McCutcheon is is healthy. So I think he's more of a bench player. So now you got to sit there and say, okay, we need a center fielder and a left fielder. You have Adam Hazley, who has looked terrible to start the spring. You got Roman Quinn. And that's a concern for me. Adam yeah. Hazley's a big concern because he's another guy that they're putting a lot of faith in who I, I liked in the role that he played last year, which was more fourth outfielder, not right. the primary guy. And there has been nothing so far that, that makes me feel any better about their plan to use him as the primary center fielder. Correct. Um, you got Roman Quinn, who, again, another guy who's gotten off to a slow start, but probably has more talent than any of your other outfield options. But you never know if he's going to stay healthy. He, I mean, the guy gets hurt, you know, walking down the street. Um, so that's a concern. And then uh, you know, who? <laughs> right? I mean, at that point now, who's who out? Nick Williams? I mean, no. No, no right? I can't do it again. You can't do Nick Williams I, I, again. I don't. I, I just can't. I can't do it for a lot of reasons. I, I just don't think he's. I don't think he's that talented. Uh, how about this? I'm going to go all in on Nick Williams. I can't do Nick Williams. The guy's not a winner. He's not that talented. He, uh, I actually cannot believe that he's in this organization still, to be honest with you. I, I, I really can't. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's a bad guy by any stretch, but I just, it's not going to work here. It was never going to work here. It's, just, it's time to move on. Okay, so, that, so then the guys that they brought in pr- prior to um, trading for Garlic, uh, Mikey Matuk, Who's no, right? He's he's here on a um, an uh, invite, non roster invite, and Nick Martini. He's got a home run, but I mean, he's not looked great in his limited time that he's that he's uh, had a chance to swing the bat for the team. Uh, Josh Harrison, I guess, could play some left field. Um, they've tried Logan Forsyth in left field. We know that they put Phil Goslin in left field a couple times last year. Do you have Logan Forsyth making the team? At first, I didn't. At first, I didn't. Because he's, really, he's been a guy that has played very well this spring. He has. At first, I really didn't have him making the team because I didn't necessarily think that it was a, a good fit. I, I kind of thought Harrison was the guy they really targeted first. I thought Harrison was, is, is, was more of a lock. And then when they went out and got Torres, I thought, okay, well, there's a guy who's got a relationship with with Girardi, so that might be something there. Um, so, like, I, I really kind of thought Forsyth was more of a longer, a little bit of a longer shot. <coughs> I also Neil Walker, I also thought might get a chance to be the extra 26th guy, mm-hmm. you know, because he can play three infield positions. He's a veteran uh, switch hitter, uh, you know, things that you know he can he can do some things with the bat. So, like, I kind of thought that. Forsyth was, you know, a just in case kind of thing, but so far, I mean, if you're going basing it off of Springs performances, uh, yeah, he's been he's been the Phillies probably the best best hitter in this spring so far through the first couple weeks. So if you don't know anything about Kyle Garlic, I can't fault you for that. But uh, he was in the Dodgers organization previously, and uh, really last year uh, had a monster year in the PCL, uh, and that's a hitter friendly league. But 314 average, 382 on base percentage, slug 675, OPS over 1,000. Uh, in 81 games uh, with Oklahoma City, 25 doubles, uh, 23 home runs. He was a monster. And really up until that point, um, a decent 2016 season split between Advance A and Double A. 
But up until that point, he, his numbers really didn't jump off the page, but he just busted onto the scene last year uh, as a 27-year-old. Actually got a call up and played 30 games with the Dodgers at the end of last season, hit 250, and a pretty respectable 842 OPS. So well, he had three home runs in what, like only 40 plate appearances yeah, or something? Like yeah, that. so he, he should pop throughout the course of the season. 26 total home runs uh, in approximately 300 and quick math, 319 at-bats. So, you know, again... If, if you're going by what you've seen from him so far in spring training, and he's been impressive by all accounts, he's impressed people in that organization. You look at what he did in 2019, both at AAA and in a limited stint with the Dodgers, and it's hard not to say, you know what, this guy has a really good case. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and again, we still have a couple weeks before the start of the season, so um, things can certainly change here before, you know, before Mar- uh, March 26th. But I, I kind of look at this bench right now and I say, okay, Jay Bruce is going to be on, be on the bench. Your backup catcher, who we thought coming into the season was going to be Andrew Knapp, he's been hurt. Um, so the, maybe – and he, he could technically just go on a DL if he's not ready to start the season. And I, you can either go with, you know, Davey Gurion or Christian Bethencourt, who they brought in. Um, to be the backup until Nap's ready. So fine, okay. So there's two spots that are taken up. I I still think Hazley makes the team. Um, that's three. Uh, and now you got three spots left. One of them's going to be an outfielder for sure. One of them's going to be an infielder for sure. And one of them's probably going to be a tweener who can do both. So then it really comes down to you know you're out of options on Roman Quinn. So do you go? Do you go Quinn, Garlic, and then like a uh, Forsyth, or do you go with Harrison because he can play both infield and outfield? I'd be stunned if they they gave up on Roman Quinn at this point. Hey, what about a, you? Am I overvaluing been, Roman Quinn? No, you're not. Um, he's their best defensive outfielder that they have um, by by far. So, I'd be I'd be willing to say if they that he experiences one more injury a prolonged injury that keeps him out for two three four weeks that i think at some point you just have to cut bait and say hey listen this maybe maybe he turns it around somewhere else and all the best to you through no fault of your own you know it's he just seems to run into bad luck over and over again but i just don't think you can continue to hang on to a player like that but i'm seduced enough by him that i would I would give him another opportunity and and to me he should be on this roster when they when they break fine so then you're going to go – so you're gone. Then Bruce Hazley Quinn, that's – one of them's got to start, I guess, in center uh, between Hazley and Quinn. So the other two are on the bench. Um, and then you got the backup catcher. That's three. You still got to come up with three more bench bench pieces. You going with Garlic? Yeah, I, th- I think right now as things stand that he's, he's going to be on this team. And uh, that's, that's I believe that we'll – I think Harrison's going to make the team. I do. I think he. I think he does too because I think that he is. Well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, one, he's versatile. Uh, you know, two, he he's had success in the past, even though he wasn't very good last year with Detroit. Uh, three, he's got a relationship with McCutcheon. Um, he's a he's a locker room. He's a clubhouse guy. Like he's you know he's one of those guys that, like you always like having around. Uh, really, really a fun loving guy and takes like a like a little bit of a leadership role. So I think that there's a lot to like about him in, for a lot of different reasons. Um, even if he's not really hitting in spring training, that doesn't matter so much. Um, I agree with you. So now you got to have one more. 
Where are you going? Forsyth? I, I Forsyth? think so. I, I think that that's where we're going. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think you're, you're going to be between those two guys. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know. And that, that's the thing. It's just like for each staff, I'm sure you're looking at, at different different points of evaluation. Like are you basing it on spring training performance? Are you basing it on batting practice and, and what you've seen? Are you basing it on scouting reports from 2019 and, you know, taking that sample into into account? Like what what is going to be the determining factor? Like if you said with any uh, definitive certainty right now that – you like Logan Forsyth more than you like, you know, Torres. I, I don't know. Can, can you make that claim? You know, no. in preseason football, we do this all the time. Like we yeah. look at the NFL and we go, okay, well, I, I see what this receiver is doing or my eyes tell me. But I, to be honest with you, my eyes don't tell me because the games aren't on TV, number one. But number two, even if they did, it's just such a limited sample. I mean, we're talking about for most of these guys somewhere between 12 and 16 at bats. Yeah. I mean, how do you – how do you say after two weeks? And I mean, granted, we still have another two weeks to figure this out, but jobs are on the line here. And I think that now what you're going to see is I think we're entering that next phase of spring training, right? Like you get the get back into the rhythm of playing, you know, you start your evaluation process, but you maybe don't go all in on it. But we're reaching that that turning point now where if it is really guy versus guy in this situation, you, you have to be taking a long, hard look at this point. And, and I, you know, you would hope if you're the Phillies or a fan of the Phillies, that somebody would differentiate themselves, that it becomes painfully obvious that the one player is the right choice over the other. But as it stands right now, I'm not there. Yeah. And then there's another guy who is tied with Logan Forsyth for most plate appearances in spring training. (laughs) Hitting 438 in 18 plate appearances with a 526 on base, 625 slugging. 1.151 1.151 OPS. Luke Williams. Who? So let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Luke Williams. Here's the positive about Luke Williams. Number one, he's 23 years old, so he's not 33 like some of these guys. Right. Uh, he's still young. He was a third round draft pick in 2015. So this is a guy that they had drafted with some reasonable expectation that one day he could play for this team at the major league level. You know. Right. Right. So, uh, that being said, he has struggled uh, really in this organization since he's arrived, and at no point offensively has he really given you any reason to believe that he's going to be able to hack it at the major league level. You go back and you look when he played with the crosscutters in the New York Penn League, 220 average, 598 OPS. Yikes. Uh, And again, he was 19 at that point. Uh, 2017, uh, he's with Lakewood in the Sally League. 216 average, 533 OPS, and 402 at bats. 2018, he he goes to Clearwater, advanced A, 672 OPS, which, you know, I mean, on the heels of the 2017 season, significant, significant improvement. And then last year at Reading, a 714 OPS. It was the first time he cracked 700 since his first season when he was in the Gulf Coast League. Well, he's been improving every so year. So he has gotten better every year. And again, still on the young side. But uh, no, I don't think a guy that comes into camp wearing number 85 <laughs> as a non-roster invitee is has got the inside track for one of these bench positions. For a team, mind you, that, again, it's playoffs or bust. I mean, if you were talking about a 63-win team, what the hell? Why not? I'm going to throw one name at you. Not that I think he's going to make the team because I don't. 
but uh, there's a there's a player uh, on this uh, in this organization who I don't think has gotten a lot of love. I don't think he gets ranked real high in prospect lists. But the the, the when I do see and I've seen him play a couple times, um, and, and of course I you know follow up on on his uh, on his stats when he plays. A guy I really like is that Simon Muziati. And it's not just because he's an Italian. <laughs> no, I really I think that there's I think that there's a hit tool there that is really nice and will play in the, at the major league level. I I, I just I, he's only 21 years old. You know, he's, you're looking at probably another couple years yet before um before he really gets going. But like he he's you know, he had a nice year last year for Clearwater. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that he he has the tools you speak of, but a 21 year old going from Clearwater to Philly in a year, I don't. No, no, no I it's don't not see ha- that. It's not happening this year. And just so but, you know, coming in uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with him, he is ranked uh, as the Phillies, I believe, 11th best prospect by MLB Pipeline. And I, I know that some people that are really hardcore into prospects kind of roll their eyes. Like Pipeline's like the uh, Matt McShay of the NFL draft, <laughs> or yeah. Todd McShay, sorry, McShay, yeah. uh, of, of the NFL draft where you go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, um, you know, a, a fairly highly regarded prospect in the Phillies organization. Yeah, well, I mean, 11, right? I mean, so it's not like you're – he's not a name that usually comes up when you talk about their best prospects. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, and he's he's uh, you know he's, he's a good – he's got some decent speed. You know, he stole 21 bases last year um, in uh, in 110 games in, in high A. Um, so that's that's a little bit of something. Uh, doesn't strike out a ton. Yeah, only 60 strikeouts and 425 at-bats yeah. last year. Yeah. yeah, so he makes contact. Um, he could, he could maybe walk a little bit more. I mean, 32 walks is a little low, but that's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, he doesn't have a lot of power. I think that's probably where his one weakness is, but, um, he's a good defensive outfielder. So I, you, I, you know I who I you, want to talk about now that we're on the, on the prospect train, Alec Boom. Um, yeah. Would you, would you bring him north with you? I, I can't because I, uh, you know, one of the things is, is that you know, as a fan, do you, you want to see him? Yes, but uh, I'm of the I support the the teams when they're like, well, gee, if we don't want to start that clock just yet. If they if the clock wasn't a consideration, I'm with you. I, I mean, I don't think yeah. it's it's just terrible business to to do it. I know that it pisses fans off, and you know, writers can talk about the injustice of of Major League Baseball, but that's the deal they negotiated. It it is what it is. Mm-hmm. That aside, do you think that he should be the Phillies' opening day third baseman? I well, I if he can hit like I mean again, I, we've only seen a small sample of it in spring training. Obviously, he hits in the minors. Um, I I, I want to see him this year for sure. Um, and I think that basically you're giving, you know, I think you're giving Segura a very short leash. Well, the other thing you can do, I, the one thing you can do, and I know that they really don't want to do this, but. You can put Kingery in the outfield, put Segura at second, and put Bohm at third, right? I mean, you can do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. Know, I mean, and and we talked a little bit just for a moment before the show. One guy that everyone just, I think, in this city wants to see succeed and is sort of penciled in as being, and I saw people talking about it a week ago, like oh, he might be an all-star this year, which, by the way, in the National League is going to be really tough to do for a second baseman. But Scott Kingery has been 
thoroughly unimpressive for the vast majority of spring training thus far. And yeah. again, I feel like that this should have been the disclaimer at the top of the show, like small sample size. It's spring training. It's March 4th. You know, I, listen, I get that. But I do go back to the second half of last year in which he really struggled. And, and again, we talked a little bit last week. He comes out. He says, listen, bouncing around took a little bit of a toll on me, not only mentally but physically. It wore me down. And that's all fine and well. That's great. I'm on board with that. And I, I believe that there probably was an adverse impact on his performance because of it. But we don't have that excuse now. At least coming into this season, it appears that he's not going to have that excuse. It's, it's time for him to do it. And... You know, two years ago, he lit it up in spring training, and then he came up and he struggled. So I, I'm not putting a ton of stock in his spring training performance, but I'm nervous because I think he's so important to what the Phillies do. I mean, we talked about this lineup and how it's top-heavy, and I don't have any concerns about Bryce Harper. I don't have any concerns about JT Romuto. I don't. But when we get to that, that second half of the lineup, a guy like Scott Kinger, if he's not good, man, does this lineup look awfully thin very quick. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the one thing we I think we, we briefly touched on last week was that you, you asked about the lineup, and I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty decent lineup, except it starts to really tail off after the middle. <laughs> like, you, you, one through four, I, I like it. Five, yeah, yeah, okay. And then six, seven, eight starts to make you go, ugh. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll – I'll tell it to you like this. I, I want the Phillies to win. You know, as a, as a guy that goes down there and, and writes about them, I know we're supposed to be objective. And last season we had this conversation. But I grew up loving the team. I, I'd still prefer to see them win. Maybe I don't live and die by it the way that I used to. But as an observer of the team, I think it's better for us. It's better for crossing broad, certainly. It's better for our podcast. You guys are seeing that with the Flyers right now. They've been on fire. And I feel like that the momentum of your show in particular, people are starting to take notice. And so for from a personal and professional standpoint, the Flyers' success has been great for you guys, both you and Russ. Um you know, I want to see the Phillies do well, but every time I look at this, and it's not just you. I know that like people accuse you of, of being negative, or when we pair up, it's like, God damn, you guys are a drain. And like, I know. You know, sometimes I I go back and listen to our show, and I'm like, you know, if you're a Phillies fan and you're you're tuning in to get excited about the season, and you listen to us talk about it, you go. Oh, Christ, guys, you know, I, I don't feel too good after listening to this, especially when you listen to some of the other podcasts. You know, those guys tend to be a little bit more rosy with their outlook, and I, I kind of wish I was the same way. I wish I could be there, but I just go up and down this thing, and I don't see it. I swear to God, I just do not see 80 – I don't see 88 wins for this team. I don't see a division. I, I Where is it coming from? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean – I. Again, I think that this is a, 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 a decent team. I think the Phillies will win their share of games. but And I think that they, they'll be better than last year, but not much better than last so year. So here's the money question that I have of the night. Yeah. Is it better for the Phillies to win 84 games, miss the second wild card by, I don't know, let's say two games, last weekend of the season, like they need to sweep and they need the other team to lose two out of three, you know, one of those situations, and they fall just short? Or is it better for the Phillies to just flame out, win 78 games and, you know, or 75 games and, and just fall woefully short of expectations? You know how we do this? Like we had this conversation with the Eagles last year, right? And we were the one concern when they made their run in December was, oh no, is this going to fool that front office into believing that some of these guys that are a little longer in the tooth, 
you know, are, are worthy of bringing back and making the same mistakes all over again. All right, well, so here we are with the Phillies. Is it better to be a 75-win team in 2020 or is it better to be an 84-win team? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because I don't think – I think that Clentac and McPhail are gone either way. Like I, I, if you don't oh, you do? Play, okay. If, if, you don't make okay. The play, if you don't make the playoffs, I think that they're done. I, even if there's slight improvement and they just miss – I don't. I don't think that that's acceptable, I mean, especially because, and this this falls on the ownership too, not just on the on them as general manager and president. But the fact of the matter is, is that you knew you had certain weaknesses and you did not address them, and it was done because you didn't want to break the luxury tax and the kind of the, the kind of the feeling that has come out of the Phillies to through the media has been that. Oh well, well, we'll go over the luxury tax if we're in it at the trade deadline. Well, you you shouldn't wait till then. You should go for it. Yeah, now. why not enhance the odds of, of right. being in the race right. by doing it now? Now, so I so I think that if that, you miss the if you miss the playoffs, Bob, I think that's it. I think that this is they got a clean house up up, up the executive offices. But this is what's so fascinating to me is Matt Clentak, a general manager right now, that's saying, "Listen, I stand by everything that I did. I think I put together a really good team in 2020, and I feel confident that we're going to make the playoffs." Or is he a guy that's saying, "Well, you fired my manager. I would have kept him. I felt that we were on the right track. Um, I, I I deserve more time, even if we don't make the playoffs." Or is he a guy that's like, "Well, I actually wanted to acquire player A, player B, player C, and we could have done that, and we would have been the team that I, we needed to be in 2020." But I I wasn't given the financial clearance. Like, is he a guy right now that's looking up at ownership and saying, "Man, you're not doing me any favors," or do you think that he's relatively content right now? I can't imagine. I can't see them see him as content. I can't. I Which, by he, the way, he has nobody to blame but himself because he has assembled a right. a woefully mediocre team. Despite the fact that you know we can we can question ownership and and talk about their unwillingness to go into the luxury tax threshold or over the the threshold, but I mean, it's amazing that this team has as many holes as it does, given the amount of money that this ownership is spending. Yeah, and it's not just that though. I mean, it's not just that the team is mediocre and he hasn't done a great job. The, the, they got nothing coming. I mean, Bohm and Spencer Howard aside, I guess you know Bryson Stott was their first pick last year. You know, a lot of people think he's going to be a decent shortstop. But, but does the narrative about that change? Because like, if you go back to like Ed Wade, and and certainly after he left, we all look back and said, "Wow, you know, he was integral in what happened there from '07 through 2011." and he helped build that farm system, and so many of those guys were key contributors. But what happens in the event? Like, let's just say that Matt Clentak gets fired at the end of the season. But a year from now, we see something from Spencer Howard, and we go, wow, he's a he's a piece. We see something in two years from now from Bryson Stott. Wow, this guy's a stud. Alec Boehm comes up, and he's the player that people think he can be. Um, you know, right there, you put those three pieces together, and let's just say, like, one other guy comes up, emerges, even if it's Kingery. You know, he turns into that that borderline all-star level player. Like, all of a sudden, you have three or four guys there that were, were homegrown players. Does that change the way that, that people view the Phillies' inability to develop, and, and specifically, I guess, Matt Clentak's tenure? Yeah, I mean, it certainly does. Um, I mean, these are a lot of ifs, and we're far yeah. away from these things coming you know, to fruition, but it, it, to me, there's this 
there's a possibility that the way that we view this minor league system and what Matt Clentak did with it still has the a reasonable possibility of altering itself. Sure, sure it does. And you know, I think back to you know the team that won the World Series in '08, and you know, and, and you know, those were all of Ed Wade's uh, guys that he brought in or drafted or whatever. And you know, you look at the homegrowns that came through that were such key cogs on that championship team, like you know Howard and Utley and Rollins and Hamels and. Uh, and Ruiz. Um, so, you know, you look at that and say, well, that was, you know, good work by Ed Wade and his group to have those guys, you know, be there. The fact of the matter is, is we don't know yet if any of the people that any of the draft picks that, right. um, that, that Matt Clentak has brought in are going to turn into championship caliber players like those five guys did so you know you know is it possible sure it's possible you know but if it, if only one or two hit and the rest don't that what, what do we say then probably we're disappointed probably yeah. we sit there and say yeah he wasn't good enough it's just a thought that i've had you know looking at this and and thinking to myself maybe this isn't so bad maybe this isn't as bad as we think it is and at some point, though, a player that you're not counting on it and that you don't have the level of expectations, like it seems like we, these guys are so few and far between that we we place a ton of pressure on each of them to be probably a little bit more than than they reasonably. You know what I mean? I think that we inflate the expectations of these guys. Like Sir Anthony Dominguez, we acted like this guy was the next Mariano Rivera when he came up, like because they needed him to be. You know, Alec Bohm, we're, we're talking about this guy like, you know, hey, he's got to be a 300 hitter. He's got to pop 30 home runs. He's got to be a stud. He's got to be everything that Michael Franco wasn't. You know, Spencer Howard, he has to, if not become an ace, become a clear-cut number two pitcher in this rotation as soon as 2021, and maybe even as soon as the second half of this season. These are heavy expectations for players like this. Bryson Stott needs to be Jimmy Rollins. You know, you're, you're not asking these guys to come up and be complimentary pieces. You're asking these guys to come up and be perennial all-stars. Yeah, no, you're right. So that's why, that's why I think it, it really comes down to they better freaking make it. Or do else you think that there's anybody else guy. in this system that, that that has that potential? Like a guy that he's a little bit of a mess or he's been a little underwhelming for one reason or another, but, you know, hey, don't sleep on this guy. He could still come up and become a, a – a, I don't want to say an all-star, but a, a, a contributor. Like do you still have any faith in Mickey Moniak? Do you still have any faith in a guy like Jalen Ortiz who they signed at a really young age and, and has – just terrific raw power, but has struggled. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I think about the Phillies top prospects and I, I think of Bohm. I think of Howard. I think of Bryson Stott. Um, maybe that, uh, that kid, um, that, uh, Francisco Morales, the pitcher, and then Luis Garcia, the other shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I don't, I don't see anything, you know, I already talked about Muziati, who I, I kind of like. But, um, yeah, no, I don't see it with Moniac. I, I don't. I, like, I'm trying to come up with other players. I mean, you mentioned Jalen Ortiz. Okay, fine. But he's really can't – he can't hit anything that's breaking ball. He can't hit a breaking ball at all. Like, that's I, – I don't know. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah, I, like, I saw like, him in uh, – I saw him in Lakewood in 2018, and – I mean, he hit a ball just off the bat where I said, that looks like a major league swing. That looks like major league power potential, like plus power at the major league level. 
But I mean, he did that in the midst of a, a year in which he hit 225 with a sub 700 OPS in yeah. in the Sally League. Do I, th- you know? do I think a guy like like Connor Seabold might make it to the majors at some point? Yeah, I think he has a shot. Yeah, but like, does he make um, it to the majors the way that Michael Schwimmer, you know, made it to the majors? <laughs> like, you know, where he's there, he is. He's a guy. He's you know, but it yeah, it, it doesn't result in anything. You know, like you know, it's. You know what's really – and here's another thing, right? So if you go on MLB.com, Philly's top th- top 30 prospects, you know who's not on the list? Um, what the no hell is his name? No longer in the top 30 prospects. Yeah, they, they drafted him like four or five years ago, the, uh, the right-handed Cornelius hitter. Randolph. Cornelius Randolph, yeah. yeah. Okay, first-round pick. God. And what was – I think it was what? 15? 16? Yeah, I think it was 2015. 15. Uh, not even in their top 30 anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, and rightfully so. But but this is what I'm saying. Like, this is where you, this is where yeah. you look at this at, and say that the organization is just so bereft of, of talent even coming up. Like, they have maybe four or five good prospects. And then beyond that, it's a bunch of wild cards. Yeah, and I mean it goes back to this. This goes well back into the the two thousands. I mean into the past decade. Oh six, Kyle Drabeck. Oh six, Adrian Cardenas, Joe Savory. My God, you know, a guy that that he he was a great pitcher and a great hitter, and he couldn't do either at the major league level. Uh, Anthony Hewitt, Zach Collier, Jesse Biddle, Larry Green, Larry Green, Larry Green's headed down the Cornelius Randolph path, where you had this super raw, you know. High ceiling, super low floor potential, and, and just a total flame out. Shane Watson, you know, they didn't get one right until they didn't definitively get one right until Aaron Nolan in 2014, and, and possibly JP Crawford. The the jury's still out on him in 2013. So, yeah, no, Philly's Philly's track record has been really bad. And that, friends, is how you make the postseason six times since 1984. <laughs> So um, yeah, I mean, real, uh, real quick, yeah, real quick, just to change, well, you know, moving on. Um, yeah, we got to wrap this up because our, our boy Russ is going to be on uh, WIP at uh, midnight tonight yeah, here. Midnight, gotta, gotta, gotta John Barchard, he's, he- he's all nervous. He's all nervous about. Is it. he really? Great. Oh my god, is he really nervous? Oh, he's, oh, he is. He's like freaking out because now he's. It's the first time he's ever been a guest on a radio show. That's cute. Um, I was nervous. Yeah, uh, hey, listen, I'll tell you what. I was nervous the first time I did it too. I mean. And, and the best part about it is Barchard is, um, like, when he was pr- promoing it uh, earlier tonight, like, I was listening on the way home. It was, like, 10 o'clock or whatever. And uh, he was promoing it. He made Russ sound like he was the greatest thing since sliced bread in hockey. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you need to do, inflate Russ's ego. That's exactly what he needs. And I'm sitting there just, like, shaking my head, like, oh, boy. You, hey, you Russ is the it. voice of the fan. Yes, yes, he so, is. That's yes, good, is. yeah. But, um, but uh, last thing we need to talk about is Reese Hoskins. Um, <laughs> so he went out on a positive note. <laughs> nah, well, he had a terrible year last year. We all know this. We don't, we don't need to rehash that. Um, but the thought process was, you know, new year, new life, new, new approach, new everything. Not has not gotten off to a good start. Um, I think he's batting 176. Uh Really, really more concerning than the 176 is the the nine strikeouts and 17 yeah. at bats. 
I mean, yeah, not, striking out a bunch. Um, he's not flailing like he was last year. Like you know, he's also not with that big uppercut and falling to a knee and stuff like that. Like, that stuff's not happening so far. So I guess that's a positive. But how how important is it for him in your mind to get off to a fast start? Because if it if he doesn't, does it become something that is you know, all of a sudden the harsh spotlight. is. Yeah, I think it's the key to his entire season, and that's what concerns me about what we're seeing right now. I don't care that Reese Hoskins is hitting 176, and I really don't care that he has the nine strikeouts and 17 at-bats. Certainly you would like to see him putting the ball in play more. You'd like to see the numbers be stronger. The concern for me is that this is a guy last year who experienced failure at a level and for a period of time that he had never experienced before. And he admitted that it got to him. You know, he said all the right things publicly while they were in season, but you knew privately that it took a toll on him. And had he finished better in the second half, the Phillies may have snuck into a wild card spot last year, despite all of their flaws. If one of their best players would have given them the performance that they had anticipated, the Phillies may have been an 85-86 win team, and, and that has a trickle-down effect. It's not just Reese Hoskins, but that lengthens that lineup. It, it, it just changes the feel of facing the Phillies, you know? It's not just about the isolated performance of one player. That There's a reverb effect to that. So when he experienced the failure that way, the way that he did, and then he made the changes that he did this offseason, if he doesn't get those results early on, I do wonder, and I think that Reese Hoskins is a tough guy. I don't think that he's mentally soft, and I don't want to come across like I'm suggesting that, but I do have concerns that if that failure continues to snowball at the head of this season, that maybe he goes so far off the tracks that he never gets back. And, and so for me, that is a reasonable concern. Yeah, and it is for me too, and uh, and I'm a big Reese Hoskins guy. I mean, I I believed in him. I I, I still I still think he you know can be what a lot of people thought he was going to be, and, and so do I. But I I have to admit that I feel the same way. Like there is a little bit of of concern for me um, that it's not going to rebound right away. Like I he this. April, March, April, May, like that matters to me, like for him more than more than maybe anybody else on this team. March, April, May matters for Reese Hoskins, and if it does, if it's bad, come mid-May, I, I'm not certain that it ever comes that it comes back. back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's your parting thought. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I gotta get, get a little negativity in, right? <laughs> hey, kids! The guy that is the face of the franchise outside of Bryce Harper, uh, the guy that that was at the Joe Girardi press conference with his soon-to-be wife over the off-season, may never be the player you thought he was going to be. Uh, until next time. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, hey, it's only a week. They only have to wait a week. It's not like no, they have to, I know. Uh, yeah. It's not like they have to wait forever for us to. Uh, I think next week we're going to design a show that no matter what, we're just going to ignore any any realities. And I think that we just have to come in and it's going to be the positive take show. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll make bold predictions. Come on, you're, an, you're an actor. You're in, the, you're in the business. You can do it. I am. I am. Well, we, you know, we did bold predictions last year right before the start of the season. But I think we waited until the last show before the opening day. Yeah, so we'll do uh, the bold predictions on the uh, the 18th or the 25th, so two or three more shows. Um, yeah. I, I have a few already kind of kicking good. around, but I wanna, I'm, I'll want i save them. So. All 
right, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, but yeah, well, well maybe we'll maybe we'll make sure that all the bold predictions are positives. Yes. About that. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> All right, well, I guess that will uh, just about do it here for us. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Again, we're doing this weekly, uh, and actually I, I'd like to see a, a, us reach a point where we can string together multiple shows in a week, but we'll we'll start one at a time for now. It's hard enough. you got the flyers yeah. uh, going on, and, and we're about to hit March Madness here, so I'm going back into the gambling cave starting next week. So we will definitely be back with another episode next week. Uh, you know, as always, make sure that you subscribe, try to leave us a five-star review. If we get one, we'll definitely read it on air. We appreciate that greatly. Uh, and also be sure to follow the just into orbit, the ascension of snow, the goalie, a flyers podcast starring Anthony and Russ joy guys are on fire right now. Yeah. It's been pretty good. It is by far, you know, you know how I feel about hockey and my, my genuine just, you know, Kind of apathetic when it comes to hockey, but I have been listening to the show lately. You guys have been killing it. Um, you know, whether you're getting top-rated guests, you know, or just just the way that you guys have covered it, you're doing it in a way that that nobody in this market is doing it right now, and and certainly not on uh, you know major sports talk radio. That's that's for damn sure. Yeah, well, I appreciate I appreciate that, Bob, and uh, it has been fun, and the team's playing great. Uh, it's going to be a, a fun spring with the Flyers. So yeah, well. Russ and I will at least have uh, one episode a week, although we've been talking uh, because of how well they're doing and we're approaching the playoffs. Maybe we d- we bump it to two. Maybe ride the wave. Us. Ride the wave. Yeah, the, I'll tell you the what, wave. the Phillies, yeah. if the Phillies are in first place come September, we're going to be doing these three times a week, so get That's ready. Right. <laughs> every night. We'll, be, we'll do a post-game. Yeah, show post-game reaction. Night. That's actually usually when I'm at my best. I need to be mad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I need to feel something. So That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so check us out. And don't forget, uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Uh, Kevin Kincaid covering the Union, um, and uh, I think Crossing Broad FC is back. I, I think Russ and uh, Phil Kaidel uh, recorded a new episode, uh, so be sure to check those guys out as well. 